IBEC, the voice of Irish business. Welcome to IBEC Voices, a podcast series about the people and priorities behind Irish business and the global climate that shapes it. In this instalment of our mini-series with a focus on COP26, we pick up on the discussion between Dr. Neil Walker, Head of Infrastructure, Energy and Environment at IBEC, and Stefan Engling, Advisor on EU Climate Policy at Business Europe. They discuss the US position at COP, and Stefan gives his view on the prospects for a successful outcome to COP26 from a business perspective. It isn't only the developing countries who are hooked on burning coal. I'm thinking of the United States uh, is a still a very, very significant coal user, um, as indeed, you know, China and India. Um, you might want to comment briefly on the return of the United States to the UNFCCC and how much you think President Biden will be able to influence the outcome and to what extent he might be constrained by U.S. domestic politics. Yes, indeed. Um, the return of the U.S. Um, earlier this year, directly after the inauguration of President Biden, was indeed a very, very welcome development. Um, and it's something that is, uh, yeah, uh, we should cheer. Um, we then had the renewed NDC commitment at the um, President Biden's Climate Leaders Summit uh, in April. And the U.S. have now committed to basically half their emissions by 2030, although they choose a little bit of a different base year than the EU does, but it is indeed a renewed commitment. The question, of course, is how do we get there? Very similar to the questions that we are dealing with in the EU itself at the moment. How do we deliver on our ambitions? And the um, the sort of obstacle that President Biden is facing here is that he um, is basically tasked with bringing the the measures needed to uh, through a very polarized political system. Um, there is very little support from the op opposition party for any of the climate measures he has envisioned. Um, and that means he is for his um, Build Back Better bill, um, which sort of comprises most of his climate agenda and which is in Congress right now, he's really dependent on the full support of the Democratic Party. And that gives almost singular members of that party a lot of power what will be in that bill. I'm thinking of Sen Senator um, Joe Manchin from West Virginia, for example. Um, and at the behest of these more reluctant senators, um, a lot of the more strict or yeah critics would say punitive um, elements have uh, disappeared from the draft bill um, that would have imposed uh, yeah financial penalties for example on utilities that weren't uh, meeting certain renewables targets in their uh, provision of electricity and in turn what that means is that the bill itself as it stands now and its climate elements is very largely dependent on financial incentives tax breaks so a lot of positive incentment incentives um, not a lot of sticks or enforcement and that in turn 
um, gives a bigger role to um, executive orders and executive action by the US president, um, which uh, is, of course, I think we can, or most of the European business community would say that with President Biden in the White House, um, there, there is a real ambition there to, to put that into reality. Um, the problem with executive action, of course, is that it can be reversed at any point um, by any future president. And as we have seen, um, not everyone who might become president of the USA is uh, keenly interested in climate action necessarily. Um, so there is a little bit of a worry whether how durable these commitments will be. Um, nevertheless, the, um, the financial commitments itself, the incentives and tax breaks I've spoken about, are very significant. Um, estimates I have seen, depending on what is in and out of the financial um, settlement at the end, range uh, into yeah, half a trillion US dollars over, over 10 years, basically. Um, that will have a transformative effect on the role that um, renewable energy plays in the US. Um, the worry is, as I said, how durable is this action and how reliable is it? And that also constrains the sort of the par parameter of movement um, that the US negotiators have in Glasgow. Thanks, Stefan. So it seems that uh, the European Union has made some pretty binding commitments. Other parties may have expressed aspirations but there are questions as to how firm those will be and how durable they will be. And given that caveat, what do you think the prospects are for a successful outcome for, from COP26 from an EU business perspective, in particular competitiveness? Yes, uh, that is indeed um, yeah. So the main question I think on on uh, that many of European businesses uh, will have on their mind when they look to Glasgow and to the outcomes of the COP, which we expect for the end of next week. Um, for us, what we have identified, so to speak, as the first marker of success is indeed that convergence of ambition, as we call it. Um, so you rightly pointed out that there is, um, is a firm commitment by the EU to minus 55% by 2030. Um, of course, across the member states, that will mean different contributions from different member states. Um, but the overall commitment is quite clear. Um, and uh, there is also with the Fit for 55 package, which has entered um, the uh, legislative process in July, um, there is quite a, a comprehensive set of measures that are supposed to get us there. So in the EU, we have both an ambitious target and a comprehensive set of measures that uh, are meant to deliver on that target. Ideally, we would see both of these elements with our main trading partners as well. Um, but as you rightly pointed out, um, while there might be some pledges and commitments on the sort of concrete action and how firm these commitments are, um, there is still a lot left to be desired. And this, of course, is um, yeah has a comprehensive deep impact on EU business because um, we are thinking in terms of competing on global global markets. And if the EU with its ambitious um, climate policies imposes more costs on its domestic producers and its domestic firms in general, for example, with uh, more ambitious carbon trading, um, 
And these costs are not replicated by the ambitions of other trading partners. We are facing a significant risk of um, climate, uh, of um, carbon and investment leakage. So for production and the associated investments, and most importantly, the associated jobs, um, leaving the EU member states and going to those regions of the globe where there is a lax or more lax uh, regulatory regime and less costs of these climate policies. That's why we as European businesses are pushing for more commitments, more ambitions by our trading partners. If that continues to be a, a sore point or there is significant shortage of these commitments, then of course, we have to speak against the countermeasures that the EU takes against this carbon leakage phenomenon. Um, and the, the wider the ambition gap is between the EU and its trading partners, the more acute um, this becomes and the, the more urgent the need for those measures. Um, and if there is no further convergence of ambition, then this will, of course, um, yeah, continue the conversation um, to what extent can we maintain and make more robust the existing measures we have, such as the free allowances in the ETS? Um, and to what extent do we have to add um, new measures, such as the uh, carbon border adjustment mechanism, which the US uh, or the EU Commission has proposed in July? That's a very comprehensive overview. IBEC. The voice of Irish business.